Welcome back, everybody, to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 72, and I am really excited about this one. I have two guests on the show from a company called Cambium Carbon. That's Cambium, as in the growth layer, that outer layer under the bark of a tree. Carbon. CambiumCarbon.com. They are saving the planet one urban tree at a time. They are embracing this idea of a circular economy where not only are they preventing the waste of these urban trees being put into landfills, turning them into lumber, connecting with buyers to build beautiful things, but they're taking a percentage of their profits and replanting those trees, creating a truly circular economy, a circular industry that in many ways could be a disruptor of the current construction trade and how we actually source and use lumber. When we talk about native timbers and local lumber, this is hyper-local, folks. This is really exciting, and I think it has the potential to turn the industry on its head and change how we buy lumber. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Today, folks, we have Cambian Carbon joining us. Uh, two, two of their folks from Cambian Carbon are with us. And Cambian Carbon, I like to think of them as a matchmaker. They match urban logs with people who make stuff out of urban logs. And the cool thing is they then take proceeds from that, or at least part of the proceeds, and then replant trees. So today I have Ben Christensen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cambian Carbon. Welcome, Ben. Hey, all. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having us. And then I have Paul Timmons. And Paul has been identified to me as the wood expert guy. So, <laughs> Paul, welcome. What exactly is your title? <laughs> uh, actually, thanks for having us. Uh, essentially, I started my own business 20 years ago and really developed the interest for salvaging local material a while back. And over the years, um, I've built the business up. It became quite successful. And uh, Cambium Carbon and my company, OE Custom, have uh, partnered up. And we are starting a new firm called Baltimore Fallen Lumber, in which we plan on bringing this material to market and educate the public and teach people how to utilize this waste stream for, uh, for good products. Interesting. So you, you are in the Baltimore area then? I am in the Baltimore area, yeah. That is correct. I did not know that. Well, I'm in Bel Air, just north of you. So. <laughs> I actually did know that. <laughs> okay. I've been following the stuff you've done with the lumber company that you work with for quite a many years now. Oh, how interesting. What a small world. So, yep. yeah, gosh. I, I still struggle a little bit. I think of myself as a, as a newbie to the lumber industry. And then I go, oh, man, I've been here 12 years now. <laughs> how did that happen? Yep, 12 years of the lumber company. That's how it yeah. works. But, I mean... I've been I've been building stuff out of wood for gosh we're getting on 20 years at this point which is why I start to get a little confused and then my other woodworking persona Renaissance woodworker and my my online school have been around for more than a decade so it kind of all jumbles together and I, I kind of sure. lose track of stuff so <clears throat> I'm I've been really excited to have this conversation because I have actually been aware of Cambian Carbon for a little while now and then you were brought back on my radar. Uh, because you just you just got some seed money. Congratulations! Got um, you know no small chump change to to help kind of further the mission here. But I think what's a good idea. I'm pretty familiar with the company, but obviously my listener base may not um, be. So uh, Ben, can you kind of give us as a co-founder, give sure. us the 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 origin story? Tell us about the radioactive spider that started all your superpowers here. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's two big things, you know, at Cambium, we're really trying to create a circular economy in a new way, you know, in an industry that hasn't really gotten the attention that it deserves. Um, you know, my background really is in carbon and climate science, but my dad was a woodworker. Um, he was a carpenter and a construction worker. So I grew up in the wood shop, you know, had a three car garage growing up that never had a car in it because um, it's so full of wood and tools. Um, so I've always been really cars and garages that's yeah i know it doesn't make sense um and so you know we started to to really help local wood products manufacturers um connect to to the national market and think about how we can really generate circular economies in cities so what Mm -hmm. does that actually mean so there's all of these trees, and, and Paul can talk more about this as well. Um, you know, he's been doing this for, for a lot more years than I have. Um, there's all of these trees that come down in cities for a number of different reasons, whether it's a planned removal, you know, new development, because they're old, because of pests. You know, we're removing trees all the time from the urban interface. And usually those trees end up getting wasted. You know, they're turned into mulch on site. They're cut into cookies. You know, we send them to landfill. And it ends up costing tree care companies and cities lots of money to dispose of that wood. And we waste all of these really beautiful um, and invaluable resources. And so we are really creating a platform that can help connect that initial wood waste stream to local manufacturing, so to urban millers, um, you know, folks who are already doing that, that primary processing and sawing, you know, to secondary wood processors, craftsmen, you know, folks who are doing larger production, and then aggregate that and connect it to the national market. And so we're really the platform that connects all of those different dots. And we can talk a little bit more about what that looks like. But right. if we can do that at scale, you know, it's this huge opportunity to help create a new industry, a new source of um, wood products and really transform how we think about purchasing wood, um, which is really exciting. Absolutely. Yes. One of the, one of the things that, um, when I joined, you know, went from garage woodworker to like the industry, you know, you'd always heard this idea of, of buy 20% more, you know, for that oops factor or whatever, but in the commercial sector, it's way more than 20%. Um, so there, there's a, a massive amount of waste downstream of where you guys are talking, um, you know, from the lumber yard into the job site already. Um, so this industry as a whole, the construction trade as a whole, um, man, it's, it's upsetting when you really start to look at it. Um, and then when you start to go upstream and, and, and looking at the number of, uh, trees that just never get used for anything other than maybe mulch or worse in the ground, um, it really becomes very, very upsetting. Um, I was I was saying to Ben before we started recording, I was out on a bike ride this morning and knowing that I was going to have this call later, I, I suddenly just started seeing logs everywhere. Driving, <laughs> you know, riding down, down a little country road and there's a guy with a cherry tree that's been felled in his front yard and unfortunately already been bucked into small little pieces that best I could turn a bowl out of it, you know. Um, and then I, I turn on one of the major roads and the entire shoulder is clear. And there's a stack of probably 50 to 100 logs just on the side of the road where they've cleared stuff out. Now, some of them are, are, are sticks. Um, you know, you, you could barely get a two by four out of it. So, you know, OK, what, that's a little bit different. But you, when you I would just say to, to my listeners and most of them are already very well aware of this. Most of them are already kind of hunting for greenwood anyway, but just think about it as you drive down the road. Drive down Interstate 95 and you will see 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of logs just laying on the side of the road. It's, it, it's crazy. And this stuff currently is not getting used for anything. So let's, let's talk about that part a little bit, the, the, the source, if you will. Um, what, like, what kind of, I guess, from, from Cambian Carbon's perspective, what kind of qualifiers or limitations do you have on the lumber that you source? In other words, what's, what's too small, too big? How do, you, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will? Um, you know, when you drive by, it, like I just said, and I saw 100 logs stacked on the side of the road, do all of those go or are all of those valuable? How do you make that determination? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just take the high level framing and then let Paul dive in um, sure. in more detail there. You know, at the high level, when you think about really addressing this problem at scale, it's about having a number of different use channels. I mean, okay. There's, you know, not all of those logs are going to be, you know, ready, able to be sawed and milled and turned into, you know, something high value or, or durable wood product. Lots of those, you know, are going to need to end up with other disposal channels. And what we want to build longer term is the most sustainable way across all of those different, you know, pieces of disposal. And as you were highlighting, you know, there's there's waste at all parts here, you know, yeah. in the processing, in the, at the job site, and actually tying all of that together and, and creating these really strong disposal channels is what we're after. But Paul, hmm. if you want to take and dive in a little bit more when you think about, you know, the hundred logs on the side of the highway, you know, what are you thinking about there? Right. Yeah. Uh, in terms of producing quality lumber, not every tree is going to produce that material. Um, sure. It, it actually, in your last podcast, you spoke about species use and application, which is something that I've been preaching for years. There's a lot of Excellent. material that is valuable. It just doesn't have the understanding or the education amongst the people that look at it to what it should be turned into. And a hundred years ago, a farmer would take an elm, an oak, and a poplar and build a barn. And that barn would stand for 150 years. And nowadays, an elm falls and it's viewed as firewood. Or as you talked about, a polonia used to be a ceremonial Japanese wood a thousand years ago that is just viewed as mulch at this point. So there's... And what a shame, right? What a yeah. fantastic wood to work. It's Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and a lot of other species that are being specced in our landscape architecture plans throughout Baltimore and throughout every major city in the country, they're specking London Plain or um, Zelkova, mm-hmm. which is, they make yeah. fantastic material to work with, whether it be to build a table or an accent wall or flooring or a chair And uh, to Ben's point, it's just a matter of figuring out where these materials can get plugged into what supply chain so that we can start utilizing them again. But the reality is, even after we figure out every species and every use, there's still a lot of trees that still need to be turned into mulch and firewood. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And we still need firewood. We still need mulch. We still need all those other objects. Um, and the crowns of all trees, uh, white oak, walnut, and maple, the, the, the crown of those trees really should be used for mulch and firewood. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. the trunks and it's the bottom sections of these trees that there's really potential there. It just needs, it needs the right tools and the right education and the right redirection of effort to really bring them about and use them in the proper way. So while we're talking about this, Paul, what about um, when we talked about mulching, but, uh, um, 
because that kind of is the solution to the bug problem, you know, and I'm speaking generally here, whether we're talking powder post, emerald ash, thousand canker, you know, pine beetle, how do you, how do you deal with the bug problem? Um, you got logs just lying on the side of the road, or in many instances, trees have been taken down because of infestation. Um, is all of that wood just deemed then that needs to be mulched or can, is there a way to, to salvage some of that for lumber as well? And how do we, how do we apply quality control to that? Right. So it's, I, I think, uh, we utilize lumber with bug holes and active bugs in them, uh, obviously mm-hmm. milling the material, storing it in a proper location for air drying and kiln drying it really is what right. brings about a usable board at the other end. Uh, and I think the general understanding of what we used to call defects in the lumber world, we're now considering character. And right. uh, yes. similar to buying a pair of jeans 50 years ago, and it's nice clean <laughs> denim, but today we're buying jeans with holes in them. So right. it's really yeah. not much different than that. And it's just about the re-education of people's expectation and understanding where this comes from and how it's being utilized. And it's not traveling halfway around the world to, to get in front of you for whatever you're gonna use it for, whether it's flooring or, or a spoon. Right. So, yeah, that's that brings up a great point that I, I, I want to highlight that, you know, we really think about when we think about sort of broader change in the spaces. So, so we, we operate a, a software product called Trace, which helps track your inventory, um, track lumber inventory, track slab inventory, do the full sort of chain of custody tracking. So you can know where your trees came from. You can, you know, track all of that. It, it allows you to, you know, do some other cool things like printing QR codes, tracking location-based management on your yard. Um, and then more business operations where it's really easy to do pricing, um, to connect with buyers, um, to do inventory management. And that's amazing. Um, and that's something that we're investing a lot in, continuing to grow out the futures, trying to really build and provide value there. But to what Paul is saying about, you know, the demand side and also creating, you know, new offtake channels for this, that's something that we're also investing really heavily in. So our partner mills, you know, the folks that we work with, they get this, you know, business operations solution side on the software side. And then also we have a really big and growing sales team that is actively trying to help them sell more wood because we have to create um, more and more demand for you know species that have traditionally been underused or undervalued and then also for higher character wood um, and, and also right. showing there's lots of cases when you know this can truly displace um, you know traditional opportunities but it has to be done in the right way so that's something that we think about a lot is elevating the supply side and also making sure we're helping support um, our partner millers with, you know, demand side support as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, as the last two years have taught us, if there's a slight imbalance in either of those things, all hell breaks loose, (laughs) you know, containers back up and you can't get, you know, anything, anything. Um, Yeah. It's, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I guess more of a holistic solution. We need to look at um, the entire system um and 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 how we if if we introduce uh, a lot of these urban trees how does that affect everything downstream um it is interesting however um i I was reading statistics and it might even been a a, a paper that you had published ben but um 36 million trees come down annually in cities um wow 
Like, I mean, that's more than than active felling and like active lumber concessions. We we don't have that many trees coming down through quote traditional um, sources. So if we if it works, right? You know, I'm 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 a marketing director for a lumber company, so I'm always asking, sure. what happens if this campaign works? You know, if suddenly I reach 10,000 people about white oak and everybody wants white oak, what are we going to do if it works? You know, we don't have that much white oak. So um, what if this works? What if we're able to, recognizing that 36 million trees come down, then not all turn into lumber, but say we're able to repurpose that waste stream, because that's what we're talking about at this point. These trees are destined to be essentially trash right now. Um, If we repurpose that and we plug 36 million trees back into the trade, what happens then? Like long term, I'm we no sorry. Let me have rephrase this. Choice. We all go back oh, to wooden blocks and lichen logs. <laughs> My concern is, I, I think, I think this is a no-brainer, and I, I've seen the market trends. Uh, well, Paul just said it. We like character in our wood. Yep. Um, we're. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put a pin in that because there's some stubborn marketplace stuff that's going to not like for sure uh, character. Of course, but yeah. um, if if we see this demand, we generate the demand for the urban lumber and we're able to fill the demand for urban lumber. Yes, wood grows on trees. We get that. It is the ultimate renewable resource, but the turn rate's a bit slow. Uh, It doesn't just grow in a year. It's not hemp. Um, So long-term studies, sustainability of this trade, has anybody looked at that? And, and, And in your partnering with cities at the beginning of this circular economy, are you encouraging essentially urban silviculture um, in the replacement of these trees? And I know I'm jumping to the end of the line yeah. here, the replacement, but just what happens? Suddenly we're going to see sure. a lot of people real excited about this lumber and they're going to snatch up that lumber real quick. And how are we going to replace it? Yeah, so I, I think it's a it's a really good question. I think there's two big parts of that. The first is making sure that when we think about creating both the infrastructure to start processing more and more of this wood and getting more traditional lumber yards to start incorporating it and seeing the value in it, we also want to be very, very aware of the incentives that we're creating. And this is why um, mm. something that we're spending a lot of time on is making sure that we're not creating an incentive where we start harvesting trees that we wouldn't have already. And that's yeah, really, really important. Point. There's a number of ways we can do that, um, particularly through our software and you know, through this ability to know exactly where every tree came from. And that that type of data is what we're going to really use and really push to make sure that we don't create those perverse incentives. Because, you know, what we're all about, and this is to the second part of your question, is is reinvesting in the canopy as well. You know, we really want to help create the resilience and create, you know, investment in, in new species. And one of the big and really interesting things there, and there's a number of other folks who are thinking about this, you know, there is a opportunity to think about our planting and our our city forests in a much more holistic way than has previously been done. And like you're saying, in a lot of ways, it is more of this urban silvicultural perspective. And as we think about climate change and changing dynamics um, and what type of trees will actually survive really well in our cities, also thinking about the end of life of those trees um, and how we plant them, how we manage them, you know, can we create it so that hey, actually, we can really reuse this wood at scale. And so we're working on that. Um, and part of 
you know, our work is really working with municipalities and cities to help create this, to help invest in it, to help think about policies that can facilitate this reuse, um, procurement, a number of different things there. And that's why, you know, we take a really holistic view and try to enable this economy in much bigger ways um, across, you know, every city that we work in. So at that that source, we're, we're not just going to cities or you're not just going to cities and saying, okay, we can provide revenue for what would normally, what you're normally paying for removal. Um, but we can also help with the planning. We can help, um, foster a, uh, an ecologically sound, uh, urban canopy. Um, that's interesting. Uh, we're really talking about concession management at this point, instead of your concession being on the something, something hectare, it's between first and 21st Avenue. Um, exactly. That's fascinating. It's, it's and that's, really, that's really exciting. It's not much different than a farmer planning out his crop schedule. It's, it, it's right. just our crop schedule is 35 to 70 years. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm glad you said that because that was one of my next questions. One of the reasons some of these 36 million trees are coming down is end of life. And I think there's this perception that all trees are sequoias and they all live <laughs> thousands of years. And yeah. it's just not true. Um, I live in a house that was built in 1966. And I happen to know that um, it was, I think, the third house built in the subdivision. My next door neighbor, who unfortunately has since passed, told me when she bought the house, they bought it because of the sycamore that's in the back corner of the lot. Technically, it's in my, it's on my property, but you know, it's a huge sycamore. So the canopy spreads across four different properties. That's and awesome. she told me when she bought the house in 66, the tree looked about as big as it does now. So that's an old tree. That's an yeah. old sycamore. And it terrifies me because I love it. I mean, it's shade all summer long, but that tree is getting old um, and it's nearing, it's coming to an end of its life. And it actually has a, a strain of anthrax, which I'm told an arborist has told me the tree's not going to fall over. It just, it just is a royal pain when it comes to raking leaves because it doesn't drop its leaves until like January. <laughs> so you rake up all the leaves and then you got to do it again when there's snow on the ground. But it's, it's one of those things where there is this perception that we're going to plant trees in the cities and they won't be available for 300 years. So yeah. what do you see as the average lifespan of an urban tree? Obviously, that's going to vary dramatically, but. Yeah, it, as you know, it, it depends, um, you know, somewhere between 60 and 100 years. Uh, mm -hmm. If you are discounting the, you know, the difficulty in those first five years, right? If you're assuming like, hey, this, this tree is actually going to survive its initial planting, then you see somewhere in that lifespan. If you include that initial data, it, it drags that number down um, a lot. Sure. Well, and I think that's why um, historically you see so much planting being done with species that grow very aggressively in those first couple of years. They grow big fast. Um, yep. And it's why you see so many softwoods being planted because they're weeds. I mean, they just, they sprout like unbelievably fast, but then you end up with this, you know, total monoculture system where there's just nothing but pine trees floating around. Or, you know, we do see a lot of maples. Maple is a ridiculously hardy tree. I mean, um, sure. A couple episodes ago, I quoted the band Rush. <laughs> they wrote a song about this, and the maples were choking out <laughs> everybody else. Um, so, you know, if, if Neil Peart says it's so, it must be so. But this is, I would love to see, I mean, uh, Paul, you said a magic word earlier, Zelkova. Um, love that species of wood. Speaking of Japanese, like, ornamental woods, to see those types of species and greater diversity of species um, I think it has to be in the long run better for just 
the environment, but also I would think if we are thinking of this as a concession, as, as a product, it would be a more valuable product in the long run. Am I right? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think so. That would be, that's particularly fascinating. So anyway, uh, I can get caught up in species all day long. That's, that's been my, my call to arms really for, um, quite some time is, is there's so many incredible North American species and most people have never heard of them. Um, and there's just, there's such an incredible opportunity there, not only from a woodworking perspective, but the funny thing is, is most of the woodworkers I know love trees just as much, you know, that you get this perception, oh, you just want to cut them down. No, absolutely not. It's not, the, not the case. So it is interesting to hear this. There, there is the thought of the sustainability side of things um, because yeah. that I see it in the commercial sector all the time. A species comes into vogue and people just go nuts and they start to, they recognize the value in that standing tree and see, oh, I can make a lot of money off of this. Um, and that tree gets felled um, either with, either it doesn't need to be felled or it's felled and not replaced uh, appropriately. So, you know, certainly um, th- this could be a whole new revenue stream that could go Absolutely. wrong very quickly, I think. Absolutely. So, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to shift. If you have something else to say on that point, um, go yeah, for it. I was just going to just gonna add that, you know, when you think about the sustainability and the messaging on it, you know, this is something that we're really focused on as well. And is such a unique opportunity is, is to educate, you know, folks who are sort of the end of use consumer, people who don't think about wood, who don't really know species and, and think about the, the different dynamics there about what is happening and how this connects to them in their cities that they care about. And then also how this reinvests in new trees. And so that's one of the big things is whenever we produce a product um, or do an install, we are also taking 15% of our profits and putting them directly back into local urban planting, you know, thinking about all those dynamics we just discussed. And then we help, you know, our, our, our partner millers to actually tell that story for their own clients. Um, and so making that, you know, seamless and really helping to build out the marketing and the messaging behind it so that mm-hmm. we can get that right and can really instill in buyers to think about, hey, we want to use different species. We really want to use this wood. Uh, we call our wood carbon smart wood because it's locally salvaged, locally processed, plants new local trees. And that helps really tell that story effectively. Right. I wonder what it would take to get FSC to pay, ten- pay attention to this. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. that is a, wow, um, that's a can of worms. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as making it attractive, um, sure. and, and so, cause I'm, I'm, my mind, I'm shifting to the next step here. We, we, we're sourcing this wood. Let's get it into the hands of people, you know, producing lumber out of it. Certainly there's a certain amount that's going to go to mulch. There's a certain amount that's going to go to non lumber, but I care about lumber. So let's talk about lumber. Um, yeah. if there, I mean, cause FSC looks at these things like carbon footprint and, 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 um, distance of travel and things like that. Um, and it audits your concessions. It audits audits your harvest. Um, yep. This is kind of apples and oranges in some way that I'm not sure FSC auditors would really know what to do with it. Yep. But just as a uh, as a uh, tip, I guess Ben, I'm sure you've thought of this. Yeah. Somebody in your company needs to be starting talking to them because yeah. So. That, a couple of things that I'll highlight on that, you know, so yeah. we're, we're talking to FSC and, and SFI is actually um, yeah. 
you know, doing some, some, they're sort of leading some certification work there. There's some other certification work. And I think certifications are really important. What I would also push, and this is how we are thinking about it. And I think this is an opportunity for us to really leverage technology to think about industry transformation. You know, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, at a high level, and this is longer term, you need certifications when you don't actually know where this wood is coming from in the sense of you don't know where every board is coming from. Right. We can tell you that and we can tell you all of that and we can tell you the carbon impact of that directly each time. And that doesn't mean that we don't need third-party certification to go in and and verify some of that data. We 100% do. And I think FSC is a great partner on that, SFI and a couple of others as well. But longer term, I think it's this interesting shift, you know, within the wood space and in others as well, where, you know, if we can have real local high fidelity data on what's happening and where exactly this is coming, who is touching it through each step of the process, and we can pass that information on to the consumer, then there's less of a need for sort of these large third body certifiers. And I think that's something that we want to move towards. But you have to see both sides, right? Again, you have to build the infrastructure on the supply side to make it trusted. And then you have to build the demand side to also believe in it. Right. I wish you could see the size of the smile on my face right now. You <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in the industry, I recognize the necessity of FSC and working with architects and people wanting lead certifications in the Green Building Council. Obviously, FSC is king. No other certification schema is being considered. Even though I love the VLO and the TLTVs that we're using in Africa that I think far outweigh the traceability um, than what FSC does, FSC is here and FSC is being specced by architects and by builders everywhere. Um, But it isn't, if you do it right, it's not really necessary. Um, And that's it. Yeah, you, you said some magic things there <laughs> um, that, I, that I like to hear because ultimately what we're talking about is traceability. Um, and the reason that certification is there is to provide, to shine a light on it when you don't know because the supply chain is incredibly convoluted to this point. The closer and closer and closer we get to local sourcing, it yep. becomes irrelevant. Um, that's, that's really cool. So yeah, big picture, long term, I think that's fantastic. Short term- you, you uh, said it right. That that word is traceability, which is yeah. why we call it trace. <laughs> right. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Um, short term, I think that getting your lumber in, getting your lumber spec, getting you know, um, carbon smart, smart carbon, carbon, carbon smart car- wood, carbon smart wood. Sorry, um, yeah. getting carbon smart wood. That term actually specified on plans. Um, could go a very, very long way, obviously, to to moving this material. Having the rubber stamp, if you will, of FSC uh, is going to increase the value, certainly. Um, and it's going to uh, make it, make whatever they're building eligible for lead, um, which is what everybody wants right now. They want that silver, the gold, their platinum um, lead certification. Absolutely. So, um, and unfortunately, the only way you can do it right now is with the FSC, call it a rubber stamp or it's got a negative connotation. I don't want to completely throw them under the bus, but um, so anyway, that's that's my my short term thought um, that could certainly help that. But yeah, long term, it's great to hear that uh, <laughs> it's almost irrelevant. I like it. Yeah. So l- l- let's talk about we've got this material. Let's get it into the hands of people making lumber. So how do you connect this material to 
mill workhouses, um, to lumber yards, if you will, sawmill owners, and eventually to consumers, wood users, not, not so much consumers, but makers, uh, I guess, um, transformers, <laughs> however yeah. you want to put it. Yeah. I mean, I think what I would say on that is it's just like any new material or any new idea. Um, you have your early adopters, you have folks who follow them, and then you have some sort of latent folks who are, are slower to pick it up. You know, we've really shown that we've got a lot of folks on boards. We have about 40 different um, shops, you know, mill workers across the country who are using Trace right now and getting a ton of value about it. We're seeing a lot of growth in the space and we're starting to see some of the really exciting synergies that can come when you have a lot of data and, you know, shops can start sharing data. They can purchase from each other. There's, there's big opportunities to really grow and to monetize there. And so with that, you know, that's, that's a, that's a really big part of it is, is showing that, you know, this wood can be used, it can be used at scale, that there's demand for it. And that's a big part. I think the other thing that we can really do to help drive this to market is, is bringing in these larger orders. And our bigger vision is really working. And, you know, as you're talking about Shannon, some of the certifications are important for this. Some of this is about just connecting with the right large purchasers, but we're working with several national buyers to start purchasing locally and doing aggregated purchasing. And that's where we can mm. really bring these larger consistent orders to smaller, you know, shops that traditionally wouldn't have access to it, but they can fulfill part of an order and it right. can be consistent and it can be something you can count on rather than, you know, one off and, and really trying to have that as your core business model. And that is something that can be transformational and we're really, really excited about. Yeah. Cooperative buying, it's certainly not a new idea. People have tried it. LMC has been there for quite yep. some time doing it and there's a great deal of success um, looking at that. Enough. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, everybody's got their own sandbox they want to play in. So l let's let's talk about Trace. Trace is a is a SaaS or software as a service model. Um, you know we're in a subscription economy here, so why not? Um, you've got uh, the ability for like an individual uh, craftsperson to to uh, pay a small monthly fee and have access to this, and then you've got different scales from like uh, I think it's limited based on like the number of slabs that you can list or whatever, all the way up to really like an enterprise level. Um, yep. So for for you know sawmill owners that are listening to this right now, I would urge you to to go to chemiumcarbon.com and check out their Trace product. But you're talking about almost networking. Um, so um, is this a is this a uh, web-based app or, or how does this actually, I'm, I'm getting really specific here, but yeah. how are we networking our data? If I've listed a bunch of slabs, how is that benefiting another sawmill somewhere else? hundred percent. So a few things there, um, like you're saying, it really works across different scales. So from small folks who are, you know, cutting a few slabs a, a month as a hobby, but want to start getting those online really easily, we make it super, super fast and easy to start getting your wood online onto your own website. We can help you set up your own website and we can get that moving really quickly um, all the way up to really large users and, and folks who don't come from the urban milling side. You know, we're building this really strong data driven platform that just manages wood products inventory really effectively. And so, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of folks who, 
you know, aren't coming from the salvage space who are excited about it and who want to use it. And we're continuing to add more and more features there that will provide value um, to them. You know, when we think about like how this actually drives sales and improves business, um, so it's it's helping getting your wood online. And then also what we're really building towards, um, you know, is we bring you deals, right? And so that's what I'm talking about in terms of having a sales team that can help you sell this wood more effectively. Um, uh-huh. So we help bring in the demand side there as well. And then the final component, when we think about more of that, that marketplace um, where we're actually connecting the dots um, from peer to peer, right now we can do that sort of in a back channel way. Um, so what we see, you know, we have a great example of this in, in Denver where several of our shops basically have logins into each other's inventory because they're purchasing from each other all the time. So we can uh-huh. set that up when you have strong peer-to-peer relationships. And what we're building to launch um, in the next several months is is more of an online marketplace that will continue to be insider only. So only, right. you know, available for basically wholesaling, um, you know, slabs or lumber to other um, mill workers. Now, can Cambian Carbon act as like a mediator? Um, as the as the data admin, if if you will, I mean it's your software, so one yep. would one would assume you have master admin in there that you can connect those dots without, um, you know it's great when you've got that strong peer to peer relationship and you do see that in hyper local type markets, but spread out slightly beyond the city limits, you know think yep. think over the terms of uh, sawmills that I may deal with up in Pennsylvania or sure. slightly further afield, still local ish but maybe two states away i can't see my boss saying yeah we want them to log into our system oh hell no (laughs) that's not gonna happen (laughs) so having a third party like can can't like you guys sitting there who are managing the data um can you be making that connection um do you see what i'm saying you're as you're like that mediator in there Exactly. And I think a couple things that you're bringing up again around data privacy, how do, yeah. how do you actually decide if you want to share it or not? And one of the things that we make it really easy to do within the software is to say, hey, these are things that I would want to you know, post externally, whether that's on my own website uh-huh. or sharing it with other you know, millers and sawyers through you know, that sort of peer-to-peer tool as well. Um, so it's making that really simple and easy to decide. And one of the big things that we really believe is we want you to have control over your own data. Um, and so we, we definitely serve as, you know, bringing in, Hey, here's a bigger order. Hey, you have, you know, a ton of, of white Oak right now. And we know that there's some buyers who are looking for it. Are you interested in connecting? But we really let you continue to have those decisions. And Mm -hmm. also we want to make it really easy for folks to run their business. And, you know, this is not just a software platform. You get all of these additional, you know, support, whether it's our sales team, our marketing team, you know, helping you tell your story more effectively and helping to, to drive in larger orders. Um, we, we want, you know, woodworkers to focus on what they love, which is usually working with wood. My, my dad's this way is, you know, he's an amazing, um, he, he makes a lot of frames and, and sort of smaller wood toys, amazing craftsmen never going to sell anything, no interest in it, just wants to work with wood. And obviously everybody's different with that. Um, but we yeah. want to make it really easy to, to really connect to the market effectively. That's interesting. Yeah. There, there's, there's a, a lot of potential there, but there's also a lot of potential for things to go horribly wrong. Right. I mean, data privacy Absolutely. is something we all need to be concerned about. So 
I look at this, I'm going to take off the woodworker hat and put on the director of marketing for a very, very old lumber company here. Um, the market, the North American market is stubborn, incredibly stubborn, very resistant to change. New species, they're like, ah, oh, no, we're not going to do it. When, when genuine mahogany was CITES listed in 2008, I think, the number of years that went by before some of our genuine mahogany users finally switched to something like Sapelia or Udali was shocking. You know, to the point where they were they were dramatically reducing their um, their product lines because they refused to switch away from genuine mahogany. Um, and and you know, clear line in the sand as to why genuine mahogany was CITES listed. You know, there's 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 a lot of reasons. Even if you don't care about the environmental thing, which how could you? When you go f down to like a global export of nine containers from I can't remember what it was before. CITES. It was much, much more than nine containers. I can tell you that much. Hundreds of containers down to nine containers. How do you not shift away from it? And there were so many people with, you know, humming a tune with fingers in their ears. I'm dealing with the same situation with the teak market right now, um, not due to CITES, but due to, you know, bad mojo um, happening uh, over in Myanmar. We see the same thing happening with, with overused species. The writing is on the wall. Um, maybe they're not endangered. Maybe they're not even like in danger of being endangered, you know, CITES Appendix 2, but people just don't want to hear it. Manufacturers claim we need consistency, you know, especially in the age of the CNC. We know what we're getting when we're buying white oak or when we're buying Species X. To change that could throw off everything from there. Um, grade is incredibly important. They can't deal with poor grade, which unfortunately is also adding to the waste downstream because, you know, they're buying this perfect grade stuff. Um, and still there's, you know, 12 inch offcut of perfectly hundred percent clear that's going in the trash. Um, so in other words, the marketplace is spoiled rotten. <laughs> so <laughs> how can we affect that change? Certainly there are, there are those that already get the beauty of wormholes and spalting and crotch figure and live edges. Um, but then there's the other side that's like, I don't want live edges. That's a defect. <laughs> the NHLA says that that is a defect. So I'm going to only pay you pennies for that. Um, how do, what do you, what do you guys think? And, and, and Paul, you may have some more direct experience on this. Um, how are you getting, how are you convincing the old school, if you will, that this is just as legitimate a source of lumber than the traditional felling from a forest somewhere. It honestly, it comes down to to reeducation. Uh, there's just a lot of people that just have a complete disconnect uh, to where the wood comes from and what it should be used for. And once they're educated that this wood grew in their neighbor's yard and that they could have it in their home it's amazing how fast the particular designers and architects that need the exact color are willing to pivot to something that makes a lot more logical sense and also helps the mm -hmm. environment. And, uh, prior to, the and it looks like wood, right? Yeah. It's, not it's, plastic. It's, it's still the same thing. It's just, it has a slightly different appearance to it. So it's really yeah, about I, re re-education. That's interesting. And, and you said the key words there, designers and architects. Um, Correct. got to go upstream because the contractors, the builders, um, they're working off somebody's plans. You know, somebody has specced it to them. Not always, but for the most part, um, and, and the difficult 
projects that land on my desk these days, generally it's some contractor or some home builder grumbling about what an architect is making them do. Um, because, <laughs> you know, heaven forbid, the architect has a vision that they want to, to realize. Um, and in many instances, in, in as I've been meeting with architects and we do lunch and learn type meetings with them as, uh, quite often, it's it's not about species it's it's funny it's, it's almost like color swatches <laughs> it's color yeah. it's yeah. only color you know you put that little swatch of paint on the wall and step back and look at it um, a perfect example of this is go to any flooring manufacturer website and you will do like a you know control f find search on the website and you will see very few mentions of actual species you know it's it's sierra mist and it's yep. It's, you know, Sierra Mist, that's a soda. Um, but, but not far you off. You get the idea. It's, not far off. Right, yeah. You know, sea green and things like that. And it's all the colors that they're going for. And, you know, I'm looking at it and going, uh, well, that's maple. Okay, well, that's oak. And nowhere does anyone care about the species. It's about what, what the, the look is. And I'm seeing, you know, more and more and actually even though they, they've gotten in trouble recently. Um, but Lumber Liquidators is actually fantastic for this because they are bringing in really low quality, not low quality, low grade material, which is a lot more defect, which has kind of changed the zeitgeist, if you will. It's almost like it's now cool. Reclaim Lumber is in. It's in vogue. Um, but it can be kind of a royal pain in the you know what to work with if it's punky and filled with all kinds of rot and things. So um, I, I do think that the more we can shine a light on source, I, I, I do think you're right. Yeah. People are excited by that and they forget about needing that perfectly uniform straight grain cherry look or perfectly uniform, you know, white woods are so in right now. So it's all maple, maple, maple. Um, but take some time to throw an accent wall up that has something unusual that you can say grew on the corner of 7th and, you know, and, and Avenue of the Americas. I don't think yep. those two intersect in New York City. They don't. No, Avenue <laughs> Americas is first. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. You get the idea. So I, I think that's kind of fascinating. Um, Re-education is yeah. probably the best word for it, I guess. It 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 it, it, it has to be. I, it for a decade before I, st I started milling my own stuff, I was buying from the lumber company you work for and many others. Mm -hmm. And uh, my showroom was full of nothing but all of these species, Babingo, Walnut, Ash, Sapili, Udali, all of it. Mm -hmm. And people came in and said, I want brown, tan, or red. <laughs> and I quickly realized, yeah, you're right. I pulled all of those species down and I put up the brown, tans, and reds of Baltimore. And they sold just as fast with just as much ease as did F FAS or one common material coming from yeah. the industry supply chain. So it, it was purely a 30-minute conversation for the average architect, designer, or client, homeowner. And when you throw in the added pitch of, I can show you where it's coming from, I have an address, here's the chain of custody, which Trace really provides great information on. As well as cool. we take the profits from this and we replant this crop to where it's not a pine tree. We're focusing on what woods are of use down the road, like white oak and like walnut and like maple that or poplar that we can utilize in this country for a whole host of reasons that we have just kind of turned a blind eye to over the past 50 years. 
Yeah, we, we've got to re-educate the world on the reputation of Poplar. Yeah, it's a it great, is, it's it a It has become such wood. a commodity product that just, it's, you know, oh, it's just for millwork. It's paint grade millwork. And man, Poplar is gorgeous. I don't, anybody who says that hasn't like freshly, you know, split open a Poplar log and seen all the colors that show up in there. Right. Um, and this this is, you know, you hinted on it earlier. One of my earlier episodes is about re kind of re, changing the reputation of these trees that are known as trash wood, you know, or that's invasive species and, and that just needs to be turned into mulch. There's some really incredible things out there that, that can be made into very, very beautiful things. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exciting. The rainforest or Burma and getting Ipe and Teak, if we reeducated every arborist in the country, that black locust would last just as long we would have yeah. the most invasive weed in North America, black locust, available for sale, and we're no longer tearing yeah. down the rainforest to get Ipe. But right now, everyone thinks black locust is a weed tree, and most governments, most state governments, want it removed because it's yeah. taking over, and no one actually realizes that you can bury uh, a six by six in the ground, and 50 years later, it's going to be the same condition below ground as it is above ground. Yeah, I have a fence up uh, near Highway to Grace that I built at the Stepping Stone Museum out of black locust. It's now been in the ground for eight years, so it's it's just fine. Yeah, the, the, and and this is where you know, Ben, as you're dealing with these cities, this is where reeducation needs to happen because black locust is a perfect case study. It's actually banned um, in many states. Um, they want it removed. You're not allowed to plant it. You're not allowed to to um, to grow it as a, as a lumber producing material because it's viewed as invasive and, and somewhat parasitic. So, I mean, there, there yep. are biological reasons to be, to be worried about that. But sure. um, I think that re-education at that level could help when we were talking earlier about planning your canopy, planning yep. down to the species, we see a huge demand for decking. Obviously decking is huge in North America and it's being filled by pressure treated lumber um, or it's being filled by exotics, or yep. the, the the composites um, uh, are, are coming in, in in a big bad way. And they've certainly figured out the recipe a little bit better than it was 10, 15 years ago. But it is still a byproduct of the petroleum industry, folks. Yes, it's recycled, but eh, yep. it's plastic. It, to an end. it will never yeah, go you know, away. <laughs> right, right. So I, I think that's where long term when we talk about the sustainability of this model the circular model um not only sustainability but the fine tuning in order to optimize that resource um not only are we now using more of the resource but we're optimizing that resource regionally or based upon market demands that to me sounds like big data analytics helping to yep. guide our forest canopy and you know Saving the planet one urban log at a time, what that really comes down to. That's that's pretty cool. So let's let's close this out by closing the loop. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> you take a percentage of your profits, um, and your profits are not only from your software as a service, but you're actually selling um, you're, you're selling products on yep. your website. And, and I'm guessing there's also some consulting and exchange of money anywhere along the way. You don't need to lay out your business model here, but a percentage of your profits is going back into replanting. Yep. So tell me a little bit more about this because replanting, you know, it's a nice thing to say. 
And you see a lot of companies who are like, oh yeah, a dollar of this profit. I used to work for Eddie Bauer in college. And we ran a whole thing where if you ups, you know, if you add a dollar to your sale, we will plant a tree and Eddie Bauer will match it one for one. Well, you know, what Eddie Bauer was doing was buying seedlings and selling them to a pulp manufacturer. So, you know, granted, <laughs> things were planted. Um, and I don't want to necessarily throw that corporation under the bus because we're talking yeah. a long time ago. Sure. They probably, no, they knew. But, um, you know, they, they were essentially funding the international paper companies, what they were doing. <laughs> they were subsidizing IP um, by selling pulp trees to them. Yeah. So <laughs> how do you navigate and make your replanting make an impact? How do you 100%. make it good replanting? Yeah, that's something that we focus a lot on and I have spent a lot of time and a lot of background in is, you know, thinking about tree planting. It's a really big climate solution. When we think about nature-based solutions, it's one of the biggest. So it's really important. It also has really come onto the scene, especially in the last five years, as something that is really flashy and a lot of people are trying yes. to get involved in. And, you know, what we really focus on is, you know, there are several different types of planting. You know, there's you know, active where you're going out into rural areas that have been degraded and you're doing new planting. There's where you're actively planting within, you know, an existing forest. And then there's more of this urban forest planting. And we really focus on planting within cities. And the way that that is done really well is by having good partners. So we really focus on planting with communities and with community partners where they're thinking about several things. The first is tree equity. So thinking about can we help give access to all the benefits of urban trees, you know, cleaner air and water and everything that trees do to help shade and cool our cities to people who have traditionally been left out of that. Yeah. Um, so working with communities that have, you know, don't have canopy coverage is a really important piece. But then you think about how do you do that really well? Well, it's hard to be in a tree, a tree in a city, you know, you need to have the support, you need to make sure that you are going to get the right amount of water, that you're going to survive those first few years, and that you're going to be taken care of, and that communities aren't going to just be burdened with, hey, now you have all of these new trees, figure out how to plant them. And so really, the way we do that is by prioritizing and spending a lot of time really vetting and working with our community partners to make sure that Every tree we plant is really high impact, that we're really setting it up to survive, and that we're doing that in a way that is is connecting and, and telling that story and connecting people who are close to that community back with that reinvestment. And I think at the end of the day, that connection, whether that's to the wood or whether that's to the new trees in your community, is really, really important. And you know, we have so many physical goods in our lives and so few of them we actually feel any connection to. And that's something that we want to transform through and through. Hmm. That's fascinating. Well, I can say it seems like you've figured this out. <laughs> uh, every stage of this, there's there's a lot of thought into this. And at the you know my initial uh, reactions to looking at this plan, you know I don't think it's it's a new idea, but a lot of people just have not not done it well um, or kind of given it lip service. Like the whole replanting thing is there's, there's not yep, a lot exactly. of thought into that. The whole idea of, of reclaiming urban lumber is, is not a new idea, but is it scalable? And there definitely seems to be that, well, you've used the word scalable multiple times. Um, it seems to be kind of a watchword for your entire, um, your entire business model, which is really exciting to see. So to, to be honest, coming from the commercial lumber trade, you know, I can look at, Cambian Carbon and see they're a bit of a threat. They're a disruptor. 
Um, but after this conversation, I don't agree with that anymore. Um, I think that you, I think you guys are a disruptor in a good way um, because I think the industry as a whole needs to be disrupted. I think that there's some change that needs to happen. Um, I've talked about this from a shift from exotic to domestic, um, but I also think that the democratization that you're providing through your your trace product um, makes it the sawmill. There's so there there there's so many of them now. These little guys yeah. with wood misers and log kings For and things sure. like that that are producing a really an unknown resource. Um, so not only are we using more of the wasted resource from the urban trees, but now we're actually getting them turned into quality lumber, mulch, firewood, things like that. Um, you're certainly employing more folks along the way, which is also a nice yep. thing there. So, you know, what's the problem? Like, this seems like a no-brainer. So what, let's, let's kind of, I don't want to close it on a negative note, but something for the listeners to think about and something for, you know, sawmill owners listening to this and wood users listening to it and any city planners that might get this and are listening yep. to it six months from now, what kind of resistance are you facing? When, when you go to a city, when you go to a, a, a millwork house or to a user, is, is there no resistance and it's just, you're not known? What's the problem, <laughs> I guess? Well, yeah, I don't, I don't go ahead, Bob. I, I was going to say from my perspective, in terms of wood shops, you had said it earlier, Shannon, that there's just a stubborn nature that white oak <laughs> yeah. needs to look like this and Sapili needs to look like that. And in the past few years, I have to say, I have a lot of groups that come to me and say, I want your ash because that looks way nicer than FAS. So easy there. It, there's a sorry commercial ash versus <laughs> no, just carbon smart wood ash puns ash yeah. puns got to got to do it <laughs> the uh so it's important it, it's it's been interesting to see this shift occur amongst smaller groups and as i've hmm. worked with larger groups uh mill workshops and uh designers and big firms on big projects in dc for example it, they had FSC spec'd and I educated them in my shop on what our product is versus FSC. And I had everyone, including the developer, jump ship and go with the local product with the story because that yeah. really moved them much further than a sticker at the end of the pile. So yeah. it's really about- Can you imagine walking into a hotel or an office building and you've got this nice feature wall, um, but then there's like this little plaque at the bottom that says, yep. you know, this came from the corner of, you know, who's it and what's it. Yep. Um, this this tree threw a shade over this house and you have a picture of the house. I mean, that's the stuff that gets people really excited. And then that, you know, so much more than, than a lead certification, um, frankly, that's, that's really cool. That's exactly what National Geographic did. They came to me with all the buyers reps and all the different owners and people involved. And they said, can you explain to me why we should buy this red elm from you versus buying FSC? And mm -hmm. I showed them the Hopkins property where the tree stood. I showed them the history of when the tree was planted. I showed them the history of when it was milled, how it was milled, how we dried it. And by the end of that 45 minute meeting, National Geographic jumped ship on FSC and bought local. So it, it, it really does work that way and it just That's needs cool. to be talked about more. And the key in the education is truth. 
And that's where I really want to end. What I have to say about it is that the lumber industry is riddled with old farmers' wise tales. And there's actual (laughs) truth in what lumber can do for our society and for the world. And it's rooted in old information that has been written about and talked about over and over again. And if we go back to those fundamentals, we will be able to replace things that we can't get like Chechen or uh, Coca-Cola with woods that grow right here within our city. It's just we got to open our eyes and our ears to understand how this stuff can be utilized to solve these problems. And to tell a story along the way. cause you to break out in a rash. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Love Coca below, but the stuff makes my skin literally crawl. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a a great, um, you know, point to really emphasize. And what I would say, you know, at the end of this is I think two things. One, you know, Chin, as you're highlighting, you know, having that plaque, being able to tell that story, Paul, as you're talking about, you know, that is is really transformational and that's what we want to make really easy you know we make it really easy to print out a qr code and be able to show hey this is where the tree came from this is the story and then that's something that you can laser engrave on your plaque um, and that your you know users and the people who experience this wood can can really dive into and then i think you know to the core of your question shannon of like why hasn't this worked at scale yet is I think it's because nobody has brought in the right resources, has thought about it fully holistically, and has gotten through all of these challenges. And I don't by any mean want to make it seem like we have figured everything out. I think we've got some really rock solid foundation. We've got amazing partners. We've got a lot of adoption. We're really excited um, for anybody who's interested in learning more about what we do, how we can help grow your business, or using Trace for for them to check us out. Um, again, as Shannon mentioned, cambiumcarbon.com, and then you can find Trace on there. But the core of it is really about how do we grow? And the last thing I would say is, you know, what is cambium? You know, there's a reason why we picked that as our name. You know, it's the growth layer of the tree, right? It grows outward. Uh, You know, it helps local and, you know, communities grow in bigger ways and helps economies grow. And that's what we're really about. And then it also, in a tree, it connects the, you know, the, the nutrient exchange from the roots to the leaves. And that's something that's really important as well, is we want to connect across scales and really serve as the platform that helps fit in between all of these gaps that haven't traditionally been there um, and creating and switching this, this economy from one that's you know thought about of scarcity. And that's often how it is in the urban wood spaces. Folks are a little bit protective and you right. know a little bit closed to one of abundance where we really have the data, we have the information, and we have both the supply and the demand to really build a new economy that can be transformational in all the ways that we want. So really, uh, that's that's what I would end on. I, no, I, I very much like that, uh, a trade of abundance, because I do think, I don't think many people recognize how how much in flux the urban canopy actually is. I yeah. think people think that it's you know, oh, we can't take down that tree because it's hard for a tree to grow in a city. Um, and oh, by the way, the one next to it was already taken down and people aren't really seeing that. So, um, wow, guys, thank you. Um, very, very cool. This is kind of, uh, exactly what I was expecting this conversation to go. Um, the only, uh, bit of advice that I can give you, Ben is, is, uh, I love your idea of, of embracing cambium as your name as you say it's the growth layer i expect to start seeing your job titles change within the company 
things like director of medullary operations, um, <laughs> poor structure management, um, oh you know, really get geeky on this and embrace yeah, your that. botany. Yeah. Great. You, you need more of that. And because if nothing else, that will start conversations when your sales team sits down and they hand them a card and says, you know, uh, director of, of Paracnima um, of development or something like that. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I've always written that word. I have no idea how to pronounce that. But yeah, that's that's the the tip right there. That will start that's really conversations. That's a going. great tip. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take that one to heart immediately. Start instituting some changes right away. Awesome. Well, glad to help. And, and guys, Keep up the good fight. Um, changing the world through Urban Lumber. Uh, urban Lumber. CambiumCarbon.com. Thank you both, Ben and Paul, for joining me. And uh, keep it up. Thank you very much for Thanks having so us. Thanks so much.